Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. My name is Bryant, lead pastor here, and whatever your lane you're coming from, trying to figure out faith, um, longtime follower of Jesus, we are glad uh, you're in the house, glad you're watching, listening via Unfiltered Radio, wherever you're coming from. Uh, before we dive into part two, I want to talk about something real fast that you're going to hear a lot over the next three, four weeks um, that's really important, and here's the date I want you to have in your mind, and it's August the 8th. Um, August the 8th is kind of a big Sunday, just in normal church life, in um, normal years where there's not global pandemics like last year where everybody's kind of getting back into routines and kids are going back to school and all of those things are happening, which is kind of this mental psychological cue of like, I need to rebuild some rhythms in my life. And so um, August 8th, we start a brand new series uh, that I'll tell you about in just a second. But here's where I want to encourage you guys on because many of you that are in the house today and a lot of you online believe this idea that we talk about a lot from the New Testament. And that is that the church is a movement of people. Like we are the church. It, it was designed to be a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-generational, socio-economically diverse movement that would be for the whole world. And everybody was invited in. And like that is what we are based on as a church. And here's the thing that a lot of times we miss in the New Testament is that Jesus promises a somewhat conditional promise as he's about to peace out um, on this hillside with about 120 people. And he's like, you're gonna build my church and the gates of hell are not gonna overcome it. And he's like, and then I'm gonna leave, but you'll be all right. You're gonna have the Holy Spirit with you. And then he gave them this promise is that when, when you gather together physically, there is a unique power and presence of Jesus in that gathering that you need to never forget. Because the church, the church is the body of Christ, which means we are the closest thing in the world to being physically present with Jesus this side of heaven, which is kind of scary because everybody in this room is busted up. We don't represent Jesus that well, but when Jesus is at the center, something powerful happens. And so I say all that to say this, we believe that we are the church and we believe that you are the church and that when you are connected to a body of Christ, something powerful happens. And in fact, Paul says this in the New Testament, that you are an indispensable part of the body of Christ. Meaning when you aren't engaged in it, you're actually missing something. It's part of your purpose. It's a part of God's higher calling. It's a part of a bigger story, a bigger narrative. It's a part of really feeling a part of something where you belong. You are making a difference where God grows your faith. But if you aren't engaged, something is also missing which means there are other people around that need what you have. And some of you out there in um, you know, Facebook land and YouTube and all of that, that those of you who are outside of our city watching, I love it. But those of you who are in the local area, we need to understand that when we gather together as a church, something powerful happens. And I say all that to say this, we don't want you to miss what God wants to do in this next season. 
And I believe for a lot of us, now is the time to regather if we are able. And a lot of you are able and you've gotten comfortable watching at home. You've gotten comfortable on YouTube. I'm thankful for the technology at Celebration Night. I met a lady from Texas that watches every week. We have people that commute from Bradenton and Ocala every week to be here, by the way, if you're complaining about your five minute drive. But there is something powerful when we gather together and I don't want you to miss it. And I feel like a lot of you, you just need a little nudge to remind you of what I think maybe God wants to do in this next season. And that if you don't gather, you have no idea what's at stake. You have no idea what God wants to do to grow your faith. You have no idea what God wants to do in the life of your student when you propel your 15-year-old to get into a group and then all of the sudden, because this is how God works, they begin to open up to another adult that they would never open up to you and they begin to experience connection and purpose in a way that you did not think possible for your 15-year-old. You need your kid to be in a circle where they're having the grace and the love and the worth of Jesus anchored in their heart. And you may not see the benefit now, but just trust me, for a lot of those kids, two decades later, what's happening in that small group right now is gonna matter. Some of you, you need to not miss the relationship that God's gonna connect you to to get you ready for a season that you don't even know is coming. But that relationship is gonna help you maintain faith when all the crap hits the fan and you can't see it coming now, but your your loving heavenly father sees it and he wants to do something in the context of community for your life to flourish and for you to thrive even in difficult times. And I believe that happens through the local church. So We've missed a lot over the last year and a half. Everybody, different context. I don't want you to miss this next season. I don't want you to miss what God wants to do. I don't want you to miss what God wants to do in our church and in your faith. I don't want you to miss inviting friends and family members where everything may change for them. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but I'll clue you in. The church has not had an amazing reputation over the last year and a half. And at some level, I believe wholeheartedly, God has called us in our circle of influence to change some of that for some people. That this is not a white church, it's not a black church, it's not a Republican church, it's not a Democrat church, it's not a church for people with a religious background, it's a church for meth addicts and Sunday school kids, and it's a church for people who grew up in the Sunday school game, and it's for people who've never felt like they had love and acceptance in Jesus. It's for people with different sexual orientations and identities, and it's for people that grew up in a Southern Baptist church. It's for everybody, and the one thing that unites all of us is Jesus, and our community more than ever needs an alternative to church as usual that really does herald the good news, that this is a gospel for all of the world, and we're going to reflect that to our community and the tens of thousands of people right now that most of you are unaware of over radio, and we are going to make an impact in our city, but it requires you to engage. And some of you right now, I love you, need to hear me. You need to engage. And so August 8th is when we are praying, encouraging, and really hopefully inspiring you to begin engaging in person as a gathering again. So I want to ask you to do two things. I want you to invite somebody who's been disconnected because we are the church meaning you have a role to play and you have a circle of influence among people that need to hear from you. They need a text, they need a phone call, they need an encouragement for you. So over the next about three, four weeks, I want you to circle that in a date, August 8th. And I want you to reach out to some people that are disconnected. Maybe they've been disconnected for two decades or maybe they've been disconnected from this specific church for about the last year and a half and they need to hear from you on a relational level to go, hey, I think it's time to come back. And I know it hasn't been a great year, but you need this more than ever. And hey, for some of you, your kids need this more than ever. 
So come on. Second thing that I wanna encourage you to do is fully engage. So some of you aren't engaged in person yet, mark that Sunday to re-engage. For some of you that you're just sitting in a row, here's where I wanna encourage you. Engage at another level, actually serve somewhere. Actually get into a community group somewhere that are gonna launch in August. Begin to give financially. I'm just gonna tell you, if you just sit in a row long enough, it is the worst hobby in the world. Go play golf on Sundays. I'm serious, because sitting in a row, it's great at first. Eventually, you're gonna need more than that. And then you're gonna start to feel like, well, I don't belong, or I'm not connected, or I need something deeper. No, the issue is you've never really engaged. And God wants to grow your faith through engaging. So I wanna encourage you and inspire you, engage. So invite, and I wanna begin to encourage you to engage. And then last thing, and I gotta be done, but I'm gonna start a brand new series on that weekend called Unbelievable. Um, Grown-up questions about the Bible. And I've been playing on the series for about two years, and this just felt like a, the right time. COVID pushed this way back. Um, but I'm super passionate about it. I love talking about this stuff. But a lot of you grew up in a Sunday school environment. Somebody handed you a Bible that was um, saran-wrapped, and it had maybe your name on it. And, you know, they wrote VBS in 1992 or whatever. And then they said, like, you should just believe it because God said it. And you're like, oh, that's amazing. And then you grew up, and your grown-up questions didn't really hold up. Um, or or it, that didn't really hold up under the weight of your grown up questions of like, yeah, but what about Genesis 1? And how did we get the Bible? And is reliable? And didn't guys just write this? So for four weeks, I'm gonna talk about the story of how we got the Bible. And so if you're a 40-year follower of Jesus, but you don't really have a clue, which I love you, most of you don't, this series is for you. And if you have ever had questions about the scripture or you know somebody who has or is in that skeptical, cynical, I'm not sure, this is the series for them. And um, I think that God's gonna move in an incredible way. So unbelievable, the story uh, or grown up questions about the Bible starts on August the 8th. And so can I just pray um, for us, um, for what God is doing in our gathering? I just wanna say this, if you weren't at celebration night, it was the best ever. When you hear the stories of people entering the water of, of baptism, I just wanna tell all of you who are serving, giving in community, they're a part of your story. Like you make that happen. Orthodox Jews entering the waters of baptisms to say, now Jesus, Jesus is my rabbi and I'm a follower of Christ. That happened Friday night. People who talked about addiction and being so far gone and then meeting Jesus through this gathering, there is nothing like it. So um, thank you for what you're doing. Let me just pray for us real quick. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you're doing in our gathering, not just among these walls, but way outside. I thank you that you are using us, we the church, which is people, to reach people that nobody else is reaching. And Lord, I pray that you would begin to move us to not play this, this really, in some cases, socio-cultural game where we just sit in rows, but instead we would be moved, we'd be inspired to follow you, to represent you, to be culture shapers, to care about people in our community and city. I pray for those who have just gotten disconnected and at some level comfortable that you would inspire them to move back and to engage and to be a part of what you're doing in your church. And Lord, I believe with all my heart that the greatest seasons for this movement are ahead of us. And so I pray that you would use us to change things in our city and our community and beyond in ways that we can't even imagine. And I thank you so much over this last year. It's been so difficult for so many people, but what you've done in our church has been absolutely phenomenal. And so with expectancy, God, we are asking you to do more and we wanna be a part of it. And so I pray that you would inspire us as followers of Jesus to fully engage with your body and not miss what you're gonna do. And so God, use us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you, you ready to start message number two today?
No, not, not in the series. I just mean the second message apparently that I'm preaching this morning. So this is part two, um, but I'm gonna move quick. So here's the series that we're in, The Secret of the Good Life. Um, a lot of us think that the idea of the good life is more, more stuff, more money, more wealth, more acquisition. And yet the New Testament talks about something completely different because we all know people who have more stuff and their life doesn't seem that good. They don't like being with each other. Their vacations are more bougie, but they all are screaming. Um, There's not a lot of peace. There's not a lot of contentment. And then on the flip side, you know people with less that seem to have a good life. Like you look at their life to go, um, I have more than you, but I want some of what you have. I want the peace that you seem to live your life with. So the secret really that Jesus talks about all throughout the New Testament is not more of, it's actually the management of. Now, here's what I wanna ask you to do in a couple minutes, you just need a heads up, is I want to ask you to flip the script on your entire financial world. And for some of you, it's gonna be really, really difficult, but it is not impossible. And I'm just telling you, and hopefully I can convince you from the scripture, this is such a powerful idea for followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have to do any of this. In fact, if you're not, you may be like, well, I'm glad I'm not a follower of Jesus because of this message. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this has the potential to change so much in your life. Now, here's what you need to know, and I kind of said this last week, but with a series like this, I know there's all kinds of baggage, so you just need to know, chill. You don't have to do anything. We're not gonna take an offering up at the end. In fact, most of you come lots of Sundays and don't do anything that I tell you to do. So just make this another one of those Sundays, okay? You don't have to do anything. But I'm just telling you, this has the power to change some things dramatically in your life. Here's what we said last week. Jesus talked about resources and money and our stuff more than he talked about heaven. Not because Jesus needed it, but because Jesus knew the power around it. 16 of his 30 plus parables were around money. He talked about money and sex a lot because they have tremendous power in terms of the trajectory of our life. But Jesus taught some really specific things around it. And one of the things is this, is that money or your resources always overpromise and underdeliver. Meaning if you make them the meaning of your life, ultimately you will get to the place to go, that didn't give me what I thought. And here's the thing that is so deceptive for us is even though we have pursued some things 10 and 15 times, we're like, well, just that raise, we just get that upgrade. If I could just get that job, if I could just get that car. And we've done it about 10 or 15 times over. It, it under delivers every single time. And yet we still keep trying because we think a little bit more of what doesn't work will work. So I know it hasn't worked 15 times, but the 16th time I'm gonna be good. Like this is gonna be the good life. Now I'm gonna be walking in the space that I wanna live my life. And Jesus says, no, it doesn't work. Money can add meaning to your life, but money is not the meaning of life. Like money can contribute to your happiness if you do what Jesus talks about. Money can add things, you should enjoy it. Jesus taught all throughout the New Testament, don't feel guilty for what you have, just feel responsible, but it can add meaning to your life. It cannot be the meaning of life. It never gets any airplay at funerals. Nobody ever talks about your portfolio. It only is meaningful if it is used as a means to an end that is not you and is bigger than you, right? So here's the question we ended it with last week. And this is a massive question, not just around your stuff. This is a massive question with every area of your life, your parenting, your marriage, where you wanna go educationally as a 22-year-old with your dreams for the future. The question is this, what end do you want your life to be a means? That question will ultimately direct where your money goes, it'll direct where your life goes. To what end do you want your life to be a means? 
Now, here's the idea that Jesus talks about all throughout the New Testament and he uses this word um, that nobody likes to talk about because immediately we think about the 63 days we haven't worked out or what we ate last night that we shouldn't have. But here's the idea that Jesus kind of unpacks in the New Testament, and it's this, that self-control ultimately is gonna determine what gets control in your life. Self-control is gonna determine what gets control. And this is especially true of your resources and your money. And here's how I know that that is true. Because the financial pressure that you feel has less to do with how much you have and has way more to do with what you do with what you have. And this is true because if you, were, if you had the ability to talk to about half of the world's population, your pressure, the financial pressure that you feel would make absolutely no sense to them. You would sit down over coffee, probably not coffee, but you would sit down with them and you would have a conversation with half of the world and you would describe how much you make and the financial pressure that you feel and they would look back at you like you are crazy, like you are insane because none of us feel like we have very much, but to a large majority of the world, we are wealthy. I know you wanna argue that point, but statistics say otherwise. You are wealthy, and yet the issue is not how much you have, the issue is that you live with no margin. And so Jesus over and over taught, listen, it's not how much, it is the management of, because we look at what we have and we just think, if I just had more money, and Jesus looks at us and says, you just had more self-control. See, here's the thing, money is always a better servant than it is a master. And you get the ability to tell your stuff, your money and your resources where to go. Like you get to be the shot caller. You can move into that position to direct your life and your financial world. And what you have to understand is money is a terrible master, but it is an incredible servant when you start directing it and telling it what to do. Now that's where like your faith and your finances start to intermingle. And so I just wanna say this again, if you're not a Jesus follower, you don't have to do anything I said. If you haven't signed on to follow Jesus, believe that Jesus died, rose again for your sins, I hope you cross the line of faith to follow Jesus, but you're not accountable to any of this. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what Jesus says in terms of how our stuff, our stewardship, our finances connects with our faith because it's a faith issue. And in fact, Paul put it in these words and he talks about this tension in Galatians 5.16 and he says this. You with me at the 9 a.m.? He says this, so I say, walk by the spirit. And this is so ethereal and usually is explained really badly if I can say that, but here's all walking by the spirit means is you become more and more aware of God in your life that you begin to live your life with this understanding mentally, God's at work in my life. God has a plan for my life. God's directing my life even when I don't understand it. God is moving things. God is for me. God is with me. And the more you become mentally aware of that and begin to live your days like that, it's not some super spiritual ethereal thing. It's just that recognition. God's working. God's moving. God's directing my life. I'm gonna be clued into that. I'm gonna begin to look for God. And as you begin to do that, as you begin to have that awareness, the scripture talks about the spirit of God in you, if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, begins to lead you, begins to lead you even in regard to angst that you feel inside in terms of how your conscience is moved a lot of times. It begins to direct areas of your life and that includes the areas of your stuff, your stewardship and your finances is that you, as you begin to be aware of God and God's spirit leading you, God's spirit will begin to prompt and direct to go, no, 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 I don't want that for you. I wanna lead you in this direction. That's not a good idea. 
That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. And here's the direction that the Spirit prompts you. Here's how Paul describes it in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is this, as you begin to be aware of God's work in your life. And just real quick, if you're not a follower of Jesus, not sure about the God thing, the thing that's powerful about this is this is just what, as human beings, what we want. What Paul describes is what you want your mother-in-law to do to you. It's how you hope your boss would respond in the culture that he creates. It's what you hope your roommate would do. You are praying your husband would would respond this way. You hope that your wife would respond this way. This is what you want for your 17-year-old kid. This is what you want for your ex that won't leave, leave you alone. Like this, this is just as human beings what we desire. So Paul says, this is the direction the spirit leads you. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And then here's our word that we hate and self-control. Here's what you need to know. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, what we're talking about, which is if you haven't been in church, that's weird, I get it, always moves you in the direction of self-control because everything on that list, everything that Paul just described wars against your internal appetites that many times can get control of your life. And the Holy Spirit knows that, including the appetite for more money and more stuff. So we shouldn't be surprised when, as Paul's writing this, he says, okay, listen, I, I, God doesn't want anybody to be mastered by their appetites. It's not a good place to be. In fact, some of you in this room or online, you spent a lot of money trying to get out from under some appetites that ended up dominating your life. And Paul, in essence, is going, listen, you don't need to be mastered by your stuff. You already have a master and he's better and his life is better. And so then Jesus makes this brilliant statement moving over to Luke chapter 16, which if you weren't here for part one, you need to go back and listen to it. But in part one, I read this whole passage, but I left out these verses that are around that passage that are so powerful that Jesus said as he's teaching on stuff and about money and resources. And here's what Jesus says in this whole context. In Luke chapter 16, verse 13, no one can serve two, what's the word? Online. No one can serve what? Two masters. In the Greek, is kurios, that word masters, kurios, and it just means this, one who is in charge by virtue of ownership. And you're like, well, I don't have a master. And Jesus is like, mm, we'll see. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And again, like, if you didn't know anything about the scriptures, I always like to try to come at them like, if I haven't heard this and if I hadn't memorized this verse, like what would I think it would say next? And there is no way that this would be this, the last back, back half of this verse. There's no way that I would insert, okay, the greatest enemies for my life and my spiritual journey are God and money. I would put like God and the devil, God and Satan, God and some demons, like I, not God and money. And yet what Jesus is saying here is you can't serve both God and your pursuit of stuff or your acquisition of stuff is the means to life. Doesn't mean you can't have it. Doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. It means you can't be mastered by it. And here's what you need to know about Jesus. He taught this so brilliantly throughout the New Testament where he said that the chief competitor, you may not believe this, but the chief competitor for your devotion, 
For your heart is your stuff and the acquisition of stuff. The chief competitor for your heart and for your stuff and for your devotion specifically is your stuff and the acquisition of stuff. And nobody ever thinks about that. We're worried about everything else going on around us and what might happen in spiritual warfare. Nobody ever thinks, okay, this is literally the primary enemy of me experiencing the life that God has for me. So the question is really this, do you have money or does money have you? And you're like, I don't know, because I don't have enough. Like I get Jesus, like it's the chief competitor for your heart. Well, I'd at least like to sign up to take the test to see what I do, but I don't even have enough to know. Because that's what happens, right? We read those verses and it doesn't ever apply to any of us. So who is Jesus talking to? I, I don't know. Is he talking to people that get random Amazon packages at their door and they can't remember what they are? I mean, some of you get home and it's like, it's, it's kind of like Christmas a couple times a month and you bought it and you don't remember it and you're about to surprise you with what you bought you on your doorstep. You have no idea. Could be those people. It could be those people who are like, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm on Amazon. What are you getting? I, I, I'll know it when I see it. Like, I don't know. Like, it could be the people that, that build houses for their cars call them garages. It could be people where like a major portion of the world doesn't have clean water and we dump it all over our lawn for good reason. But it could be those people. Like Jesus is going, listen, this applies to everybody for this reason, because we all wanna put ourselves in these categories and they have more and I have less and we're always looking to somebody else. But but listen, everybody is at risk at making money their ultimate pursuit or their ultimate concern, which ultimately, by definition, makes it ultimate. And Jesus is going, that's who I'm talking to, and that's a risk whether you make 20,000 or 200,000, to make it your ultimate concern or ultimate pursuit. And come on, isn't it crazy? Just go with me for a second. Isn't it crazy how much, we, how much easier it is to devote other things to God around the areas of like, like sin and dysfunction or around the areas where we're hurt and broken or even around the areas of our eternity. Some of you don't even believe in God, but you've had you know, issues where you need, if there's a higher power, you need help. And so you throw up prayers out of nowhere to, to whom it may concern. Like, I don't know if there is a God. I just, I need somebody to get me out of this. And we are so quickly ready to look to God, that God, I need help in this. God, I need to get out of this. God, I need some kind of, like, like just help me. Or around the areas of, of deep sadness or brokenness where we will cry out to God. Like, God, you need to do something here. I'm asking you to heal them and save them. God, I'm asking you to give us the strength to move through this because I am am so weighted down by the circumstances that I'm walking through right now. I don't know if I can make it. I need you. It is so much easier to devote everything or surrender everything to God in those areas, even around the issues of our eternity. Of God, like, I know that I can't earn my way to you. I know something's broken about me. I can't answer all the questions about you, but I believe that you really lived. I believe that you really died for me. I really believe that you walked out of a grave alive in history. So I'm placing my faith and trust in you for all of my eternity. I mean, I, I'm kind of joking, but I'm somewhat serious. Though. Like, I think some of us sometimes would be more heartbroken if we found out there was 
no money than if there was no heaven. Because you're like, oh, heaven's a long way away. There's no money. But it's so easy to devote all of those other areas. And Jesus is going, come on, man. Stop playing. Just be honest with yourself. I want you to follow me. And this isn't about me, Jesus would say, getting your money. This is about money not getting you. And Jesus was so clear. And if it's offensive, take it up with Jesus. Jesus was so clear that if you have not surrendered what you have, you haven't really surrendered. And Jesus was so clear that if you have not surrendered what you have or given him access to what you have, you haven't really given him access to you. And all of that creates an attention because we're going, okay, even if I believe that or I'm tracking with you, Brian, like how do I avoid that? And so Jesus addresses it in maybe his most famous sermon in Matthew 6.33, Matthew records it and Jesus says this, this is how you flip the script. This is how you begin to change everything in regard to your world. But seek, what? But seek first. Basically to keep from the seduction of more, I need more, I need more, I need an upgrade, I need more. Jesus is like, this is how you begin to reorient everything from the inside out. And this is not about either or, this is about the prioritization of. Again, Jesus never taught poverty theology, but he did teach, listen, something has to come first. And so he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Jesus' righteousness. And what you find all throughout the New Testament, just go with me for a second, and then you can be done and and not do anything if you want to. Jesus taught over and over again that his kingdom was an other's first kingdom. And and don't get tripped up by the word righteousness that can have all these religious connotations that some of us can get lost and it can seem too deep. Here's Here's, what, here's how you know what he meant by righteousness. If you wanna know what he meant by righteousness and his kingdom of righteousness, you just need to watch Jesus. Jesus, who fearlessly and courageously put other people first. Jesus, who fearlessly and courageously put you first. And he says to us, I am inviting you into a kingdom where you are not first. And it's amazing. You're gonna find the secret to the good life there as I've defined it. And you're gonna find more peace and more fulfillment and more contentment and more pleasure. And you'll actually enjoy more of what you have if you follow me into this. Because in that moment, you will become a means to an end that is not you. Seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. And there is no way for me to amp up the emotion enough of how Jesus demonstrated this as he was walking toward Jerusalem and Jesus was leading the way. I love the way Mark describes it in Mark 10, that he makes the point that you know that Jesus was actually leading the caravan and that's significant because Jesus knew exactly what was gonna happen when he got to Jerusalem. And he's on his way and his dudes who are at the time clueless behind him are arguing about, so, okay, when Jesus, when, when this all happens, who's gonna, who's gonna be like your second in charge? Who's gonna be chief of staff? Who gets to sit beside you? Because they're all thinking that Jesus is about to set up a political movement and kingdom. 
like many of you still think. And they're on their way and they're arguing about this and who gets to be second. And then Jesus turns around and he just asks them this really rhetorical question. Do you guys wanna be great? They're like, yeah, that's what we're talking about. Well, you know greatness of the world, right? Greatness is as soon as you get leverage, you leverage it for you. And you know how the Romans do. As soon as you get influence, make sure that that influence benefits you. And you know how the Jewish authorities do it. As soon as you get leadership, maximize that leadership and make sure it benefits you. And they're like, yeah, that's what we wanna do. That's why we wanna lead. And then Jesus turns around with another one of his kind of mic drop moments, looks at them in the eye and says, Peter, eye contact, Andrew, eye contact. Guys, look at me. Not in my movement, not in my church, not in my ecclesia, not among my followers. If you want to follow me, heads up guys, you are following me into an other's first kingdom and it means that you lay down your life and you become second and somebody else becomes first. And then he shuts down all the debate and Mark records it in Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man, Jesus is like me. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And then finally they get to Jerusalem and I talk about this narrative a lot because it's one of the most powerful in all of scripture. I, I can't ever just, communicate the emotion in such a way that it does justice, but they get into this rented apartment upper room and they're having their final Passover meal and the guys still don't fully know what's going on, but in hours, Jesus is gonna be betrayed and crucified and Jesus gets up from the table and you know the story, many of you, he gets a wash basin and a towel. He takes off his robe, which was a very strategic symbol because it was the sign of his rabbinical authority. So it was another indicator. I'm putting myself second and I'm becoming a servant for the sake of you. He ties his robe around his waist. All of his guys in the room are like, crap, we forgot to, we forgot to hire somebody to wash the feet because that's generally what you would do. So they're like, oh, we look, we look like idiots. We should have this by now. I mean, we've been with Jesus for three years. And so there's kind of this little argument and, and Jesus is like, Peter, shh, shut up. I'm gonna wash your feet. And he gets up from the table and he, gets down with these guys who've walked miles, their feet are disgusting. And he begins to go around the table and wash their feet. And as he does it, the room is silent. And when he gets up, he looks at every one of those guys around the table who don't have a word to say and says, listen, when you get out of this room, I don't want you to ever forget this. The moment you have anything, any leverage, any influence, any authority, any material possessions. I don't want you to ever forget this moment. It is not for the sake of you. You are a steward. I'm inviting you into an other first kingdom. You go second, everybody else goes first. And then John records it. Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet because I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And then verse 16, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. And Jesus is going, listen, I've flipped the script of all the kingdoms of this world and now I want you to do the same. And if you are going to join my kingdom, I just don't want you to ever forget this is an other's first kingdom. And then the next day, 
The next day, the next day, they watched their king give his life for his subjects. And the world was never the same. And Jesus says, I want you to join me in my kingdom, how I see the world, how I see people, the fact that I put others first. I want you to flip the script. And so then we're thinking, okay, but there's still a tension there. I still gotta live life. I still gotta pay bills. I still gotta get my kids through college. I still have dreams I wanna pursue. And Jesus is going, no, no, I know. I've placed all of those on your heart. This is not either or. This is one and two. Something has to take priority. There is some kingdom that has to go first. I'm just telling you it needs to be my kingdom. And so he says this in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And Jesus is going, and by the way, because I'm for you, I died for you. All these things, meaning all the stuff that you worry about and obsess about will be given to you as well. It's not about one and two, or it's not about either or, it's about one and two. It's about what is going to take priority in your life. And come on, Jesus is so brilliant because he knew, and he's saying right now, what many of you have already experienced, you just may not be able to articulate it. Jesus knew this, that when you put you first, eventually you come in last every time. Here's why. Because when you put you first, eventually you have a very difficult time saying no to you. And when you have a difficult time saying no to you, you end up getting mastered by appetites where a decade down the road, you would do anything to go back and go, I wish I would have said no to me. And Jesus is going, that is not life. <laughs> I am inviting you into something better, something bigger. This is the secret to the good life. You are a created being and you are created you are created to seek first your creator. And when you don't, just hear me, and then you can go your way and think you're an idiot, that's fine, but just hear me. When you don't, your life becomes disordered. And so here's what I wanna encourage you to do because that's the question, like what do I do? Jesus told us, okay, you gotta put something first, something ahead, you've gotta flip the script. And so here's what I wanna encourage you on. Don't have to do it. I will tell you, it'll change your life. This is probably the thing I get emails around the most from people two, three years later to go, I took this advice, it changed my life. So I just wanna encourage you to do this. First of all, I just wanna draw the contrast. Here's what me first living looks like in terms of just your resources, your money. It looks like this, live, save, give. I'm gonna allow a lifestyle to dictate what I do and usually I find out what it is like at the end of every year. I don't really have a plan for my stuff. I just live, save, give. Really, here's how I describe it. It really is me first living with leftover giving. And that's fine, because that's what everybody does. That's how everybody lives. Jesus is going, you're a Jesus follower. I'm inviting you into a different kind of kingdom. I want it to be said of you like Peter, James, John, and those guys that were there that eventually gave everything, what the author of Hebrews said, that the world was not worthy of them. I want you to live in that kind of kingdom. Here's how I put it in my notes, and it's kind of stupid, but you might remember it. Telling your money where to go is proof that it's not running the show. Like I'm gonna control what I do with my stuff. And here's what Seek First Living looks like. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. I'm gonna give first. 
I'm gonna save something because Jesus talks about that. I think it's appropriate and it's wise. And then I'm gonna live on the rest, but I am going to dictate ahead of time what lifestyle I'm gonna live on. And I'm just telling you, Jesus taught it is a tangible, verifiable evidence that Jesus is Lord and master over your life. We don't like it. It's uncomfortable, but it's just true. And you're not gonna experience it. You're not gonna believe this part for some of you either, but I just wanna tell you this. When you begin to implement this, which I did from an early age, not because I was spiritual, because I was taught and I'm so grateful, it will become a keystone habit in your life. Meaning the chains will begin to break in other areas of your life when you decide to start there to go, I'm gonna seek first. It is a keystone habit that begins to direct every area of your life because it's not about your stuff. It's about your heart. And Jesus is going, this is the chief competitor for your heart and I want your faith to grow. And Jesus could not have been clear. The litmus test for your devotion to God is your willingness to put him first, not include him, but to put him first in this arena of your life. So I wanna offer this challenge and I'll be done. I wanna wanna encourage you to do this for the next two months. Choose a percentage of your income and give it away as soon as you get paid. Not one time, but I mean, not one week, but for two months, I'm gonna do this because it takes about that to get into any kind of rhythm. And every time I get paid, I'm gonna give some of it away. And listen, if you got bad experiences with the church, give it somewhere else. There's lots of needs in our community. Go find one of our partners that, by the way, when you give here, we give money to them anyway, but go give money to go, hey, I wanna help some needs in our community. Now, as a Jesus follower, I think it should start with the church because the church is God's plan A to rescue the world and change communities. And so if you care about people coming back, if you care about people who've been bumped away from the church for two decades, if you believe in whatever church that you attend, you should give there as they're influencing the next generation. But listen, just give it somewhere and begin to be consistent because it's not about like one time or when I feel a need or I have this emotion, everybody does that. You need it to change your lifestyle because that's what begins to change your heart. Spontaneous generosity doesn't change anything, that's easy. But when it begins to become your lifestyle where I'm going to put this first on a weekly, monthly rhythm, it begins to change stuff in your life. It begins to change your focus, it begins to change your attention, it honestly begins to change your emotion. And then last thing, I wanted to say this, because I get where some of you are at and I understand it, and that's why I let you off the hook at the beginning. You don't have to do anything. But just pay attention to the tension that this creates. Why does this make you so uncomfortable? Why do you argue with people in your minds? Why do you always exclude those verses? Yeah, Jesus said, but, but, but. Like, why, why do you feel that thing? Because I'm telling you, that tension is really powerful. That tension is a window, I believe, in, into something that God wants to do in your heart and in your life. And I want you to consider, what is the center of my resistance? Because for some of us, what we might understand is exactly what Jesus said is that it's really not about your stuff or your money. It's about who is Lord and master of your life. And I'm just gonna tell you, maybe you're not gonna believe me, but one day you might. Money is a better servant than it is a master. And I'm just so grateful, and I can't encourage you parents, I'm so grateful that I have parents who just taught me this and anchored this in my heart, and, and it's something I've tried to anchor into my kid's heart. Why? Because I, I want the church to get their money? No. Because I don't want money to get them. And here's what, here's what Jesus taught, and I'll, I'll be as loving as I can and get out of this, but Jesus said over, over again as Jesus followers, like, listen, don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. 
If Jesus is not first in your financial world, he's actually not first. And you're not really a follower. You're a user. And Judas tried that. So in Jesus' words, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and your stuff or the acquisition of stuff. And so Jesus says to them and to us, to me and to you, let's do this. Because there was a group of people one time who heard Jesus who had very little. Everything was working against them. And yet they heard Jesus' invitation and they surrendered their lives. And it changed the world. So I wanna encourage you, engage somewhere. Engage in a group Engage in serving somewhere within the church. And I say all that because community is gonna help you in your journey. If you don't have other people around you, the more and more you are isolated, the harder it is to take these steps of faith. So even right now, center point to 94,000, they'll send you a link. I wanna take a next step. I wanna get into next steps. I wanna find out about groups and service. And honestly, I wanna get with some other people to help me in taking these steps to stretch and grow my faith. And maybe for some of you, you're right on the edge to go, Jesus, I want to surrender Maybe this one area of my life that I have been unwilling to surrender and I wanna let you in and I wanna unleash your power and I want you to lead me into the life that you have for me. And if I have not given you access in this area of my life, I haven't really given you access. So would you stand with me all over the house in person? And those of you who are online who can pray with me right now, would you do it? Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you left us. And the thing that's so hard about it, it is, it is so counterintuitive what I feel emotionally and what you say a lot of times are just two different things. And so I pray that you would help us right now to root ourselves to the reality of, of what you said is true. And it's not true because it's in the Bible. It's true because you walked out of a grave alive. That validates everything. And so I wanna take seriously the guy that died and then somehow came back to life. And I believe that what you said is true. And so help us to have the trust and the faith to follow it. And whatever this looks like, it, I just pray that we'd start somewhere. Percentage for some of us, maybe 2%, but I pray that we would just start there because that's, the, that's what the journey is of following Jesus. It's constantly taking the next step of faith. And for some of us, that's the next step. For others of us, we're 15, years, 15 year followers of Jesus and our generosity hasn't grown. We're so stagnant. I pray that you would lead us and compel us by grace, not out of obligation, to wanna to take another step to go, I, God, I want to surrender this area of my life. And so God, do your things in our heart and our life right now in this moment to those in the room, those that are listening. And we pray this in the incredible name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.